0: But this morning, as we're going to be uh, going through our lesson here and looking at, uh, again, this one paragraph, this passage that has so much information in it, um, we're going to look at a sort of a difficult aspect of it today. And I just remembered my staff was making chemicals here. i got to get something out. Because they were... We have a soap class in here next. That's what's sitting right there. And uh, it's very strong lye solution, sodium hydroxide. So we had the whole desk cleared off and everything. So everything got moved. So pardon me on that, but um, let's open in prayer. We're gonna get started because our topic today is apart from me, you can do nothing. Very confusing passage, very confusing sentence. Jesus confusing people, really? <sighs> Boy, did he, but let's open in prayer. We'll get started. Father God, we come before you again and we thank you for the, again, the safety, the health you provided. And we just ask again, dear Lord, that your spirit would teach us in this lesson today, Lord, very important lesson. Help us to understand what you're meaning by the statement that without me, you can do nothing. And how this applies to us in our lives in our walk with you. So guide us and teach us, we ask, in your name. Amen. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, as I've said many times, probably every week in here, remember, you do not have to do a Bible study. As someone asked me, um, I had a summer staffer last, last Sunday night actually ask me, um, I haven't done a really good Bible study in a long time, so should I start in Genesis? And someone in here asked me the same question this week. Should I start in Genesis? No. No. Never start in Genesis. last place you want to start is Genesis. That's a killer of a book, particularly to do a Bible study in. If you've never done many Bible studies before, why is the power off? I have no idea. It's warm in here. I don't understand that. Oh, well. Anyway, so looking at a paragraph, reading through a paragraph is really one of the best ways of doing a Bible study. So here we go. This is John 15, 1 to 11, again. I am the true vine my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word I that I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in a vine neither can you unless you abide in me may be full. Yep, a lot in there. I even love this last line. That your joy may be full. God is promising us us joy that is full. How do we get it? Abiding in Him. A lot of people, I don't want to give up my life uh, to God. I don't want to do that. I want to live my own life and be happy. Really? Do you understand what God is offering us? There was a friend of mine, He was the custodian at a school, Christian school I used to teach at. His name was Cedric. Even though he taught at a Christian school, he was not a Christian, first to admit it. Not a Christian, which puzzled me when I found out that he was not a Christian because he is one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. Being a custodian, he kept the school basically running. There was like uh, three different custodians. He was the head one. If anything went wrong, you just asked Cedric, he would drop whatever he was doing he'd come over and he would help he was the kind of person to give his shirt off his back to somebody he he was just the, the nicest guy i think he's he's dead now because this was many many years ago it was back in the 70s but um i remember when i heard that he was not a christian i i had to ask him once i said got him in a conversation in front of my uh, my classroom one day uh this is not during the school hours and i said cedric i heard that you're not a christian and he goes, Oh, yeah, I'm not. He says, I'd I make that very, very well known, he said. I said, I'm puzzled. Why not? What is blocking your way to giving your life to Christ? This was his answer to me. He says, I tried living your Christian life, I tried doing it. It just didn't work for me. It just was made me very uncomfortable. I didn't like it. So I walked away from it and I've never gone back. So he did say that he believed that Jesus was a historical person. He says, I believe that Jesus was a great teacher, that he was crucified. He says, I even think that Jesus uh, was the son of God and rose from the grave. He says, I I believe all that. I know all that's true historically. But he said i don't want anything to do with it i want to live my life the way i want to live my life Hmm. very interesting and he was not offended by my question because he gets he told me he gets asked that a lot about every teacher in the school asked him and he said i was just wondering when you were going to be the one to ask me too but he was one of the nicest guys i ever came across but how interesting i don't want to give my life to christ i want to live my life my way i want to have my own fulfillment in life in other words i'm not surrendering anything to jesus Hmm. in this passage he would be called a false branch but jesus did make some very startling statements in his ministry i mean he did i mean you read the gospels he freaked out people all the time Uh, one of them is found in, in this paragraph apart from me you can do nothing and as i told you one time i had a student in school actually she was not a christian Actually, she belonged to more of a cult than anything else. But she says, I don't understand why you believe, Michael, about uh, things about Jesus being the son of God, because a lot of things he said were just straight out lies. And I said, like what? And she said, he says that apart from me in the book of John, apart from me, you can do nothing. She says, I'm not a Christian. I can sing. I can walk. I can dress myself. I can eat. I can dance. I do all this. And I'm not a Christian. I have nothing to do with Christ. See, Jesus is a liar. I said you're not following what jesus is saying and this happened frequently i mean really because other students were sitting in the room is it really true did jesus really mean that apart from him you can't really do anything or we can do all sorts of things right so obviously jesus confused people and he's still confusing people today with this he often confused people because they would often take what he would say in a literal tense when he would be speaking in a spiritual analogy or something Um, He would be speaking spiritually, and they just never understood it. Um, The disciples even caught this. At one time, they asked him, they got him, after Jesus got done teaching the people, um, the disciples got along with him and said, Why in the world, Lord, are you teaching with all these confusing parables and stories and stuff? Why don't you just say what it is? And Jesus says, Well, their guilt would be worse if they understood everything. So he says, I'm doing this. Actually, it was prophesied that he would speak in parables and that he would speak in confusing ways so that the people would not be in <laughs> so much judged of hot water. But I want to take one story you guys all know really well, this feeding of the 5,000. Look what he said. Now, we all know the miracle. You know, taking a happy meal, breaking it up, passing it out, thousands of people eating it. Yeah, cool miracle. But... Look what he says right after he does this to the people. It's in John chapter 6, 53 through 56, and it reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And i will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is the true food my blood is true drink whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and i in him now really to the ancient jews drinking animal blood is like one of the greatest abominations there is could you imagine drinking human blood eating human flesh how detestable this is this is so harsh to a jew to their culture I mean they don't even eat pigs and Jesus is saying eat of my flesh drink my blood whoa they got so confused that John tells us they didn't understand this at all many people just got up and walked away from it at that point because they thought he was talking about cannibalism gee what he was doing he was making an analogy he was saying that just as eating and drinking are necessary for physical life they just got done eating Just got done eating the Happy Meal. Eating and drinking are necessary for physical life, so the belief in his sacrificial death, he's talking about his death on the cross, would be necessary for eternal life. On the cross, he offered his flesh. Like a a Jew would take a lamb, um, a bull, a bird, something like this, they would offer the flesh of it on an altar of wood and burn it as a sacrifice and they would collect the blood and pour the blood out on the edge of the altar and stuff it was to to for forgiveness of sins and stuff like this jesus does the same thing and he's prophesying that his body will be the flesh forget ordinary lambs he is the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and he seals it with his blood because in the old covenant old testament times whenever you did an agreement um with gods or deities you sealed it with blood that goes back all the way back to the time of Abraham so blood would be sealed and Jesus shed his blood sealing this offering this sacrifice that's what he was talking about they didn't get it even his disciples didn't get it Jesus spoke on a spiritual level many times confusing people many times so if Jesus does this what in the world does he mean when he says something that's ridiculous as Without me, you can't do anything. What's he talking about? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about here. We learned that when you graph, like the apple tree that's out there, you take a branch off another tree, cut it off, you can graph it onto another tree, another apple tree, and as you saw, witnessed it yourself, it's producing good fruit, delicious fruit. Hopefully, we'll find out in another three or four weeks. But the branch to do this, as I told you, you the branch has to abide in in the trunk the xylem and the phloem have to match up now someone asked me can you take like a lot of different types of trees and put them together it's possible this picture here this is a one tree that's grapefruit this is a tangerines over here these are oranges there's limes and there's lemons all on the same tree it's a citrus tree but they're all citrus fruits you can't really take a grapefruit and put it on a pine tree the xylem and phloem are not going to match up but if you can get to a tree that has the areas where the xylem and phloem do match you can sometimes make really bizarre trees they don't always take but sometimes they do graphing is it's a science to it so if you do this as he's talking about here you take a branch the branch has to abide manos remain dwell with it has to be attached to that to that trunk that's what we're talking about here and jesus is talking about this too if the branch is not attached to the trunk if the zom and phloem do not line up it's not going to do anything it's going to die it's only good for firewood then break off the branch burn it you can cook a meal with it or something but that's all it's good for at that point now jesus is telling us to abide with him that's what this whole paragraph is From the thesis sentence of this paragraph and 10 times in here, he uses the word menos, abiding, which we have covered, is a relational word. Not head knowledge of facts, relational. So to abide with him, to produce fruit, good fruit, we have to be abiding with him. Without this attachment, we cannot produce good or real fruit. Now, people have asked me, well, wait a minute, can't you still um didn't people and don't people still produce fruit even though they're not attached to christ yes they can kevin as i told you the president of our youth group he got up on sunday evenings many times did sermons and i'm sure that he taught a lot of spiritual points that made a big difference in people's lives maybe he even led somebody to the lord beth went on mission trips all over though her concern was nothing to do with the people it was a vacation but still yet she was used and she did some things But she wasn't really attached. Her fruit was, as Kevin said and Beth said, Kevin's thing was, I just followed Christ. I just put on this facade to gain attention and to have power. Beth, I did it basically to go on trips. Not the real motive. But still, God was able to use some things like that. God can still use even evil to turn around things that are good. He can, because he's God. He can do stuff like that. But what does he mean? What is Jesus saying when he says that without me, you can't do anything? Well, let me explain that by an illustration that I um, saw one time by a, a guy who spoke here at camp in the past, um, uh, the Briscoes. I don't know if you guys all ever heard of Peter Briscoe or his dad, Stuart Briscoe. Very famous pastor from England. Um, Stuart Briscoe and my, uh, his family and my wife's family um were like this back years and years ago when they used to all be at, at elmbrook church in waukesha um, so peter briscoe was uh, my my wife knows peter briscoe knows his brother and and stuff like this well peter briscoe was doing a presentation he was telling a story one time when he was back in england and listening in a sunday school class there was a guy i'm sure you probably never heard of a guy by the name of billy strack billy stracken was a very famous bible teacher he, he died just a few years ago. He was a very famous Bible teacher. Um, wrote many books, did illustrations. But one thing that Billy Strachan was known for also, particularly when he would go to a, a big church event or a big rally or something, he would use magic. He's one of those that use magic in his gospel presentations. He was a magician. Um, he didn't advertise it too much and talk about it, but he did this a lot. So one day, Peter Briscoe was telling me a story. When he was a boy, that their Sunday school teacher, who they normally had, was not able to be uh, there on Sunday. So Billy Strachan happened to be in the area, and he says, well, I'll teach the Sunday school class. So he says, all those kids were so excited to have Billy Strachan in there, because we knew he was going to do magic. And it just so happened, Billy Strachan picked this passage we're talking about here today, that without uh, Christ saying, "Um, if you don't abide with me, you can't do anything. So he wanted to show an illustration. So Peter watched this magic trick, and Peter taught it to me. This is actually from Billy Stracken. It's Billy Strachan's magic trick, and I learned how to do it. This is so cool. I've got an ordinary Bible. You see here in front of me, just an ordinary Bible, no strings, nothing attached. I'm going to set it down on the table. I'm going to take out an ordinary glove. This is a golf glove, as you can see. Just an ordinary glove, nothing fancy about it. It came right out of the box like that. You can see there's nothing to it. There's, if I open it up... Notice there's nothing in it, there's nothing. Now, I'm gonna put the glove down on the table first. I'm gonna put the Bible on top of it, just like that, so the Bible is sitting on the glove, and now, this is where it gets interesting. That glove is going to levitate the Bible. It's gonna come up a few inches. You ready? You can see there's no strings anywhere attached here, right? You ready? Here we go. As I lift my hand, the Bible is gonna come up with it. Okay. All right, hold on, it's not working. Okay. Try it again. It's supposed to be one hand. The hand's on the Bible. Bible, levitate. Okay, it still didn't work. I'm forgetting something about the trick. Hold on. Oh! I remember. Hold on. Bible, levitate. Now watch, I can make the Bible go this way. I can have it go that way. I can have it go down, up, no strings attached. You see that? Isn't that cool? And what happened, the Bible is levitating, just like I said. Isn't that cool? Well, Billy Strachan did this in the Sunday school class. Peter Briscoe sat there with all the others, and they said, do you think we're stupid? You put your hand in the glove. It was your hand doing it. You didn't do a magic trick. Do you see what's going on here? Could the glove do anything? Could the glove lift up the Bible without the hand in it? No. But I put the hand in it. Now I can lift it up. But did I not tell you that the glove would make the bible levitate is not the glove making the bible levitate of course the power is coming from the hand inside the glove you all get that that's what jesus is talking about now if you're really confused let me clear it up when we become christians before we're christians we are like this an ugly stained useless Glove that can do nothing. We accept Christ. We believe in Jesus. We put our trust and our faith in Jesus. God changes us from that into this. And not only does he change us, the glove, he not only changes the glove and makes it clean, what he does is he puts his spirit inside of us and it dwells in us And now it powers us to do things. This glove by itself, if I take my hand out of this glove, what can this glove do? Nothing. It can't do a thing. All it can do is just sit there. It does nothing. Yet, if I put my hand in it, look what this glove now can do. It could help somebody who's hurting and add comfort, make them feel better, a pat on the back. Somebody falls down, the glove can pick them up and help them get up. If somebody's hungry, it could take some food and give it to someone and feed them and nourish them. Do you see how many things this glove can do now? But what's really doing is, is it the glove? No. It's the hand in the glove. A Couple of weeks back, my television at home broke. And that night, the summer staff were coming over, a lot of summer staff were coming over to watch television. We're gonna watch the Dick Van Dyke show and Mr. Bean. My favorite shows. But my TV broke in the afternoon. It was about one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon, it broke. And I mean, it's dead, it's just totally dead. So I tell my wife, we've are gonna we got to go get a TV. So we drove to Walmart, we bought a new TV, came back, sat it down. It's not like today, televisions are so much more complicated than they were in my day. In my day, you just took the TV, put it on a stand, plugged it in, raised the antenna, and turned it on. You had it. Today you got to sit there. You got to, you know, you assemble the thing. You put it on there. Uh, put it on the, the stand, and then um, you got to sit there and turn it on. Then you got to program your password, your um, your internet codes, and all this other stuff. You got to go to Netflix and do this, and uh, Amazon Prime and enter all. I mean, my gosh, it took me like three hours just typing in stuff to that stupid TV so that we could watch it. Finally, I get it, and it comes on, and I'm sitting on the little stool right in front, a little footstool. I'm sitting there as I've been programming this whole thing, and finally it comes on, and I'm like, okay, let's see if the TV, just the TV channels work. Wham! here it comes up, and it was a baseball game. And I was like, I was absolutely engrossed in the picture. Because the picture of the, of the TV, not the guy throwing the ball, just the image on the television was so lifelike. I yelled to my wife upstairs. I said, Denise, you got to come down and see the picture on this thing. It's like I'm sitting on, in the infield. The grass looks so real. This is such a, a realistic, high-definition thing. I said, it's amazing. Well, she says, yeah. <laughs> but I sat there, and it was a baseball game. And I then start, you know, I'm watching all the things in the game. And then I see the guy up at the plate. He's standing there batting. The pitcher throws the ball. He hits the ball. Fly, very high infield fly. Going, it's going out of bounds. The first baseman is running with all his might, has his eye on the ball, as he's running and running as fast as he can to try and catch it to get the guy out. He's getting close to where the stands are, and he's getting closer and closer, and he's still running, not walking. He's running over, and here's the ball falling down. He literally leaps into the stands, four rows in, and Snowball catches the ball. Umpire standing right there, out! The guy is laying on his back, stands there holding him up, and he's got the ball in his glove, snowballed right on top like that, a snow cone catch. And, you know, they're helping him get back and stuff like that. He takes the ball, throws it back in. The the audience in the stadium went wild. The announcers sitting here, what a tremendous catch. But you know what they didn't say and what the audience did not yell? What a fantastic baseball glove. I'm gonna go out and buy a Wilson baseball glove right now. Oh my gosh, that glove is fantastic. What an amazing glove. They didn't do that. What were they doing? They were praising the hand the guy whose hand was in there. They didn't once mention the glove. They were talking about all the, match, the magic of, and the athleticism of this first baseman running with peril almost to his life, jumping out there four rows back and catching this ball. What a tremendous catch. But nobody said, wow, what a baseball glove. Could the baseball glove have done that without the hand in it? no you starting to get what Jesus is saying here he's making a very important point to his 11 followers remember the non-christians the false disciples are gone he's talking to his 11 true followers and he's telling them without me without abiding in me you can do nothing abide in me as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine you're the branches whoever abides in me and i in him it is he that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing that baseball player in a way sprouted fruit when he snow-coned that baseball but the glove did not get any praise. No one even looked at the glove. They played it over a couple of times. And since I've been teaching this lesson all summer, as I sat there and I watched this, this passage immediately came to my mind. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I'm teaching. And I kept playing it. So I tried and tried to see what kind of glove it was. I thought I saw a Wilson emblem on his glove. Wow, I had a Wilson glove. My glove didn't do that all the time. Do you see now what Jesus is telling his real, his true followers? He tells them this also at that meal. I'm going away from you, but I will send you my spirit, and he will, look at the word, indwell you. Indwell. To dwell with is the word menos. To dwell inside. When you become a true Christian, God not just does not clean you up like this ugly glove. He cleans you, and he indwells in you with his spirit. Look at this. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says this. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. But you see, Christ lives in me. It's Christ doing this. Romans eight eleven. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus tells those 11 disciples, my spirit will dwell with you. Without me, you can do nothing my spirit in you will do tremendous things produce tremendous fruits that's what he's talking about you see before we become christians and don't lose this you are a filthy rag you do not clean yourself up i had a couple years ago i was speaking to a group in january here a large youth group a guy came up to me afterwards and says oh i I really want to be a christian you've really i I feel so convicted i really want to become a christian i want to i want to just sacrifice everything to god i said okay what's the problem he says well I'm really filthy I'm really dirty I gotta go clean my act up so God will do that I said you have missed the whole point you don't clean yourself up you can't clean this you can't get the stains out the stain of sin is embedded in there you can't remove it God removes it he takes care of that and then his spirit comes inside finally the guy got this holy cow took him so long And he removes all of our sins. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Years ago, I had a student on a marine biology trip. Her name was Melissa. About halfway through the trip, one night, she came out of her room after curfew, which is like a death sentence. But I was on the curfew duty that night. I was on shutdown. I saw her come out, and I thought, oh, she's a good kid and everything. She's probably, they need something in the room. So I walk over. What's the problem? She says, can we talk? I said, sure. We go down. We sit down by the dock underneath the lights there. I said, what's up? She said, on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, you said something that really, really startled me. What was it? You said that that Jesus can forgive us of all of our sins. I go, yeah. She says, no disrespect meaning but is there any place in the Bible that actually says that? I said, yeah, there's a lot of places. I said, how about 1 John 1.7, 1 John 1.9? She goes, I don't know anything about that. Do you own a Bible? No. Let's go over because we bring Bibles. I went over, got a Bible, unwrapped it, gave it to her, helped her, because she had no idea where 1 John was, opened up 1 John 1.9. I said, read it out loud. She says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When she got to all unrighteousness, she started to cry. I said what's the matter because I'm now sensing something's I'm not told the whole story here and she's just really tears just coming down I said what's going on Melissa What's, what's happening here I'm missing something she says the pastor of my church where I go has told me that I have done certain sins and too many sins that God could never forgive me there was no way I could ever be accepted by God but she says have you said that on easter and now i see it in god's word himself she became a christian that night she became a true follower the holy spirit not only cleansed her took away her sin but indwelt then in her her life totally changed you have the spirit of god living inside you you change when i was a little kid i told you i was a i already told you the the things i used to do i told you a few i was a brat but it changed. You put the Holy Spirit inside of a person, it changes a person. We're now clean, we're ready to be used for God. And He just doesn't cleanse us, He indwells in us. I often get asked by people, young people, even sometimes adults will come up and I'm, I'm not sure I'm a Christian one way i tell them is look back at your life before you think you became a christian what was it like well some people are safe like when they're five years old six years old they can't think back to their life like before that i was in eighth grade i still remember what my life was like so sometimes you can get like that other times you can't so i usually tell people read first john first john is a great book to help you understand this because the holy spirit indwells us you are going to change you're not going to have the holy spirit inside you and it's not temporary He doesn't come in and pull out, come in, pull out, though sometimes we sort of act like that because many times we'll become true Christians and we have the spirit living inside us and then we will go and we'll steal or we'll go and we'll lie or we'll go and do things we should not be doing. Go to parties or hanging with people we know we shouldn't. And the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go there, don't go there. And you're like, no, I'm going to drag you along. And sometimes what will happen is we'll go to a computer and we'll sit down and we'll start typing things and the Holy Spirit is like, oh, you're starting to type in porn. Don't do that. I don't want that. I am going to force you to do this because I want to do it. Oh, what are we doing to the Holy Spirit? He's inside of us. The places we drag him, the things we make him do, the things we make him see, we shouldn't be living like that. That's why it tells us in the armor of God to put on the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, the breastplate of holy living. First Peter 1.15 says, because I am holy, God says, you are to be holy in the way that you live. And he puts his spirit inside of us to help us do that. Now, this glove is capable of producing fruit. Oh my gosh, the type of fruit it can do. It's morphed into one. You notice that the hand inside the glove is morphed into one structure? But we must remember it's not the glove that's doing it. It's the hand inside the glove that powers the glove, like the baseball player. The glove didn't get the praise. The baseball player did. And we're going to see what kind of fruit then that God brings forth. By the way, do you realize that Christians are really foolish if we start boasting about the things that we've done? Because we're not doing it. That's the spirit inside of us, morphed into us. That's who should be getting the praise. Like in that baseball game, it was the player, not the glove, that got the praise. There's five types of fruits, though. If I've examined the Bible and looked through, I can basically categorize fruit now, some, some people have been asking me, when are you gonna tell us what the fruit is? Here we are. Here's the five categories of fruit that the Holy Spirit indwelling us will have us produce. First of all, a Christ-like character. We start changing to become more like Christ. And this is not an instantaneous thing, boom, we're all of a sudden like Christ. It's a progress, we're a work in progress. Even though I became a Christian in eighth grade many, many years ago, many decades ago, I'm still a work in progress. But my life totally changed that night. Galatians five twenty-two and twenty-three. Most people know this verse as the fruit of the Spirit, but this is also describing Christ's character, which is what we're being conformed and changed into. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's describing Jesus. That's who we are changing into. That's a fruit that the Holy Spirit will do in us. The second one to praise and be thankful to god that's a fruit praising god is a fruit before i became a christian you probably didn't go around praising god much you become a christian you start praising god and it's something we should do all the time hebrews 13 15 through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to god that is the the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name we are to be praising god and by the way The sacrifice that god wants really paul tells us in romans um, that the sacrifice that god desires is the way we live our lives our lives are a living sacrifice offered up to god that's a fruit purity number three in what we do and how we live we are to be holy because he is holy colossians 1 10 so as to walk in a manner worthy of the lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in what in every good work we should be christians should be producing all sorts of good deeds you're not saved by good deeds but we are saved to do good deeds ephesians two ten. bearing fruit in every good work increasing in the knowledge of god how do you do that you've got to study this number four. Oh, i forgot this verse this is the one i've been quoting a number of times first peter 1 15. he who has called you is holy you also be holy. And that's the breastplate of righteousness, holy living. Fourth, be ready to lend a hand to anyone in need. That's a fruit. To Hebrews thirteen sixteen, do not neglect to do good, to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. One thing I love about the book of Acts, when the church first starts out, they're giving everything away that they own to people who need it. They have some, oh, this person needs this worse than I do. Here, just take it. No, don't run it from me, just take it. One year, one of the first years we were up here, a family of staff, they had both their cars break down. I had two cars. Both their cars broke down. I said, um, like, we don't have money to have it fixed and stuff like that. I said, here, use my keys. Well, uh, when do you need it back? When you get your car fixed. Well, what if it's not fixed in a long time? Then you get to use it longer. Do you want me to pay you for the gas? Nope. I will be offended if you pay me anything. I just want you to use my car. I don't need it that much. You have a need for it much worse than I do. Use my car. And they did, for months, until they got back on their feet and they could do it. I never took anything from them. To take something, that would be against God's law. I wanted to just be fruitful. We all do this. And the fifth one, telling others about Jesus the Great Commission Matthew 28 19 and twenty: go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son the Holy Spirit teaching them to teach you have to study the Word of God teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you these are the fruits by abiding with Christ his strength and power like my hand in the glove is powering that glove to do things just as the glove is powerless. To do anything without the hand in it jesus is saying you can't produce really good fruit those five fruits apart from me you might make some artificial stuff which we'll talk about tomorrow but to make real true delicious fruit you have to have the holy spirit in you to do it's the spirit of god indwelling you are you an orchard producing a lot of fruit Or are you the barren Judean wilderness? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and ask again that you just continue your spirit to just continue teaching us. I love this passage. There's so much more I would love to say, but we just don't have the time. But I pray, Lord, that your spirit will teach them the important things in here that they need to know. Keep them safe this day as we do have storms all around us. Keep us safe, please. And help us to produce fruit for you. In Jesus' name, amen.